James chapter one is where we're gonna go this morning. You know, one of the, one of the things that our family kind of uh, begun doing at the beginning of this pandemic was, you know, our kids were trying to find ways to connect with other kids and they were so tired of Zoom and they were so tired of FaceTime and they're tired of phone calls. I'm sure uh, you're feeling some of that as well. But there's this moment several weeks in, I mean, not even very far in, where our kids were just kind of technologyed out. And so they wanted to stay connected to their friends and they decided, hey, we're gonna start writing letters. We're gonna write letters to our friends. Some of our friends here in the city, some of our friends that live outside of the city. And so they started writing these letters. They became pen pals. And in turn, it kind of made this one moment every afternoon at our house kind of a big deal. And that was the moment when the mailman, our mailman's Mickey, he shows up at our house, you know, every afternoon around two or three, he shows up with the mail. And so all of a sudden, this moment that our boys used not to think about or care about, they were excited because they were expecting, you know, maybe maybe one of our friends wrote us, maybe uh, our grandparents wrote us, maybe somebody that we've been writing to has written back. And so every day when the mailman shows up, our boys kind of in the midst of this pandemic, they like run out to the mailbox to see if they have any mail. And so this has kind of gone on for a while. And several months ago, uh, it was raining outside, so our boys didn't want to run out to the mailbox. They sent me to do it. And it was one of those days where I was just so discouraged I was kind of down, kind of grieving some things, felt a little bit kind of depressed and frustrated. Maybe you felt that in the, in the middle of this pandemic. But I walked out to the mailbox, it's just kind of drizzling, and I'm standing there and I open up the mail. And uh, for, as a person, like for myself, I've never been very excited about getting the mail because normally it's just bills and junk mail. And I'm not excited about either one of those things. But you know, I opened up the mail, hoping there'd be something for my kids. And in the mailbox, there was this letter uh, that someone had written to me. I, I could tell right off the, the bat, you know, this isn't a bill, it's not junk mail, it's handwritten. And I looked at the return address, and it was, it, it was this guy that I haven't talked to in a long time. Uh, you know, I hadn't talked to him on the phone. We've certainly never written a letter to each other. I didn't even know that he knew my address, but here he was, he's written me this letter. And so I was so surprised by the moment, I didn't even like go inside to, to open it up. I just stopped right there, like at the edge of my driveway. I opened up this letter, and I don't know if you've ever had one of these moments, but here I was like in the middle of a really difficult day, and I just start reading this letter, and it was like this sea of encouragement just started washing over me. I mean, just like, I was just like standing there and just like kind of drizzling, you know, just kind of terrible uh, weather. It's not very fun. I'm feeling terrible on this side, but I begin reading this letter and all of a sudden I'm just like so encouraged. I'm so, so lifted up. It was like drinking a glass of cold water in the middle of the desert. And yeah, in fact, it was so encouraging. I took this letter and I put it in my prayer journal. And literally over the last couple of months, there's been several days where I've just kind of been down and I'll get that prayer journal. I'll take out this letter and I'll just read it. and. In this, this season that we've been in, I've been reminded just how powerful it is to receive an encouraging word from a trusted friend in the middle of a difficult time. Like something just happens. I don't know if you've had that happen before where you get just, uh, it feels like out of the blue, just an encouraging word from someone you trust in the middle of a difficult time. Maybe it was a text message. Maybe, maybe it was a voice memo. Maybe they, they sent you a video. Maybe they called you. Maybe they wrote you a letter. I don't, I don't know what it is, but if you ever had one of those moments where it was like someone knew what was going on in your life and they just kind of reached through the distance and they began to speak words of life into you. And I don't know what you think of when, when you think about the book of James. I don't know if you have any history with the book of James. You know, For some of you, maybe it's just that book that you read through when you do your yearly reading plan. And so you heard us say, hey, we're gonna teach through James, and you're like, all right, you know, why not? You know, maybe you're kind of excited, kind of indifferent, you don't really know what you feel. Maybe there's some of you that have never read the book of James. Maybe there's some of you that have read it a lot and you love it, but I think when we come to this really understanding at the core, like what is this letter that we're getting ready to crack open for the next several months? And if I could just sum it up in one sentence, I would say the book of James is a really encouraging letter from a trusted friend in the middle of a really difficult time. 
Like it's an encouraging word from a trusted friend in the middle of a really difficult time. And I love trying to just imagine what the original audience would have felt, like what they would have experienced when they were standing at the end of their proverbial driveways, opening up their mailbox, receiving this encouragement from this guy named James. Now, in order to really understand what we're gonna jump into over the next several months, you've gotta understand the context of this letter that we're getting ready to crack open. You know, James, was, he was writing to a very specific group of people. He was writing to a group of people who were, a lot of them were a part of the very first church that ever existed right after the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus spent 40 days teaching about the kingdom of God, and then he returned to heaven. And there's this beautiful moment in Acts chapter 2 where you see the birth of the church, this thing that we're part of. We're connected to this, whether you realize it or not. You know, so in Acts chapter 2, Jesus fulfills his promise. He pours out the Spirit of God uh, on, on the day of Pentecost, which was a big religious festival. A guy named Peter, who is one of Jesus' closest friends, he stands up, he preaches this sermon. 3,000 people join the church on the first day. In the first few years of the church, as you read through the book of Acts, it's like everything was up and to the right. Everything was good. Everything was working. In fact, the way that Luke describes it in Acts chapter 2, he says not only was the church growing by reaching new people, he said the church experienced the favor of all the people. In other words, like when the city, when the culture looked at what was happening there in Jerusalem in the church, they went, man, we like that. That's good for us. We support it. We're, we're encouraging. And so you look at the first few years of the church, uh, historians, even ones that kind of take a conservative approach on how the church grew in those early years, even conservative estimates would say that by the time you get to Acts chapter 4 or Acts chapter 5, the church in Jerusalem was 25,000 strong meeting in house churches, meeting in the temple courts, like serving the poor, seeing God do amazing things. In the first few years, everything was great, but there's this turning point that takes place in Acts chapter seven, and you have to understand this if you wanna get the context of what we're getting ready to dive in to over the next couple of months. In Acts chapter seven, all of a sudden this hostility, this friction begins to break out between two different people groups, and we'll talk about that more in the weeks and months to come, but this hostility begins to break out between the Jewish people who did not believe Jesus was Messiah and the Jewish people who did believe Jesus was Messiah. And this conflict begins to break out, and Stephen, this guy who was a leader in the early church, he kind of finds himself at the crossroads of that intensity, and, and he's murdered for his faith in Jesus. He becomes the first martyr. And Acts chapter eight describes the, kind of the aftermath of that breaking point in the church. It says a great persecution broke out, and the church was scattered. There's this moment where the people, they found themselves in a season they didn't expect to be in. One moment, everything was going right, everything was going as planned, everything was up and to the right, and then something changed, and in an instant, the whole story changed for these early followers of Jesus. They found themselves leaving their homes, leaving their schools, leaving their neighbors, leaving, leaving everything they knew, and all of a sudden, they wake up in a world that feels totally different than the world they were just in. And I don't know if you felt that at all over the last few months, but I go, have you had any of those moments, like in the middle of this pandemic, where you go, okay, March 8th, like I had big plans. <laughs> March 9th, plans were in a dumpster fire. It's like, you know, yeah, we're gonna change the world in 2020, and then you get like into April, and you're like, 2020, please just finish. You know, it's just like, maybe you've you felt that. It's like the, the first part of this year, you felt like you were living in one world, and then something happened, and then everything felt different. And that's and so much the spirit of what's happening in a much more intense way for the people that James was writing to. And so they've been discouraged. I just imagine them like walking to their mailbox on a rainy day. They're in a place they didn't wanna be. Life isn't going the way that they want it. And they open up the mailbox and there's this letter. But it's not just a letter and it's not just any letter. It's a letter from this guy named James who is one of their leaders when they were all together in Jerusalem. 
So one of these guys that they trusted, he was like one of the backbones of the early church in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, he was known as being a man of prayer. In fact, people called him camel knees because his knees were so callous for all the time he spent in prayer, which is it's a pretty crazy nickname. This guy was just known for just spending time on his knees praying for the people that are part of his church. Later on, he would die as a martyr for his faith. You need to look up that story sometime of what happened to James and literally how he prayed for the people that were killing him as he was dying. Just this incredible man. But what I love about James is he had this long history with Jesus that like each and every one of us was a journey that was growing day by day. And so there's a lot that we can know about James, but one of my my favorite kind of facts about James is that James was the half-brother of Jesus. In other words, they had the same mom. Like Mary was his mother as well, you know, and they grew up in the same house. His his conception was not miraculous like Jesus, but he had the joy of like living in the house with Jesus. We don't know exactly how many brothers uh, Jesus has. The scripture tells us that the brothers and sisters, he had at least six or seven. So a big family in a small house, living in a small town. Can you imagine the stories that James had about his big brother Jesus? And what we know as we kind of follow James's trajectory is kind of early on in his life, he really struggled to get his mind around this reality that his older brother was not just a really good brother, not just a really good guy, but that he was God. I mean, can you imagine? Just put yourself in James's shoes. Like, your mom's like, can't you be more like your brother, Jesus? Can't you be a little bit more like your brother? Or like, you know, when James went to second grade and his teacher finds out that, oh, you're Jesus' little brother. We've got big expectations for you. You know, it's like, can you imagine living quite literally in the shadow of Jesus? This was James's story. And what we know about his life until early adulthood is that he really struggled with this tension. That something changed for him after Jesus was raised from the dead miraculously. It says that Jesus spent some real intentional time with James after the resurrection. And there was something about seeing his older brother who had lived a perfect life in his presence, who had died a sinner's death, who had been raised from the dead, standing in his midst, and James went, okay, I'm on board with this mission. I love to study apologetics, kind of the evidence for faith. I don't know if you're into that sort of thing, but I think the journey of James is like one of the most compelling arguments for why I believe the resurrection of Jesus is physical. I mean, just think about this for a minute. What would your sibling have to do to convince you they were the son of God? It's like he came from the dead. And James is like, all right, no more arguing. I'm in, I'm on board. And he becomes this leader. So here's what I want you to know. It's in the middle of this really difficult time that the church receives this really encouraging word from a trusted friend, and it has the power to shift everything. And this fall, we're gonna study this book, not just because it's in the Bible, and not just because we think it's encouraging, but because we think it is unbelievably relevant for the moment that we're in. And James, he's gonna reach out to his church, scattered to the wind, and he's gonna say, hey, listen, even though we're scattered, the mission hasn't stopped. Even though we're not where we used to be, even though things aren't going the way that you want them to go, he says, God is in the midst of it all. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but in a season like this, I need a friend like James to lift my eyes above the fray of my circumstances. And so this morning, we're just going to start. We're going to look at one verse. I promise you we're not going to do one verse a week. That would take us forever until the return of Jesus to get through this. But I, I do want us to do just start in one verse this morning because James is going to lay the framework before he gets into any of the hardship of their circumstances, he's just gonna kind of lift their eyes above it and he's gonna say, hey, remember, remember who you are and what God has called you to. James chapter one, let's look at this together, starting in verse one. He says, James, he's introducing himself. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. 
Let's read that again. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, writing to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. And uh, this is really true. We could take the next month in this one sentence and not get to all the depth of what God's doing in it. And I know that sounds crazy. I promise you won't do that. But I just want you to see there's like this treasure chest of gospel reality. In this part of James, that if you're anything like me, so often when I jump into a book, I just read right past it. And I don't know if you take notes, I just kind of want to give you three things to notice as James begins to frame up. You know, he's speaking this encouraging word into the really difficult situation. Just kind of three things that jumped off the page at me this week as I was wrestling with this one sentence. Here's the first one, is James wants to remind us first and foremost that we're servants of God. He reminds us that we're servants of God. Now, it's interesting to me that this is the way that James identifies himself. Look back at verse 1, and it says, James, a servant of God. You know, if I was James, I'd be like, James, the half-brother of Jesus. James, the roommate of Jesus. James, the guy that knows more about Jesus than anybody knows. Like, you know, I'd be selling the book rights if I was James. I'd be trying to get all the interview circuit. You know, like, that's not what James does. James says, let me remind you of who we are. We've, we're in a really difficult season, but at the core of who we are, we're servants of the Most High God. It's who we are. We're servants. I love this. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't tout his position he doesn't try to, to make himself greater. James, a leader, he said, no, I'm like, I'm a servant. He says, we're servants of the, uh, of the Lord Jesus. We're servants of God. And you can kind of hear two things coming through James's voice as he's saying this. I just want you to imagine, like, he's, he's saying it. Maybe he had a really cool voice, like James Earl Jones or something. You know, just this, like, epic, deep voice, you know. But just imagine James speaking to you. He looks at you this morning, sitting in your living room, sitting wherever you're at, and he says, here's what you are before you're a school teacher or a stay-at-home mom or a businesswoman or a mechanic or a musician or a student or somewhere in between. Before you're any of those things, you're a servant. You're a servant of the Most High God. Because it's an incredible reality. It's an incredible privilege. It's an incredible responsibility to be a servant of God. Like, that's who we are. You hear kind of both sides of this, you know. I think about the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 17 where he's talking to the disciples and he says, hey guys, this is a paraphrase. He says, guys, sometimes God's gonna ask you to do things that feel a bit difficult. Maybe you won't even feel like doing it. He says, but you're his servants. And when you do what God's asked you to do, don't stand around and wait for somebody to pat you on the back or say, good job. He says, you do it because as a servant, you realize it's your responsibility to carry out the work of your master. I love this, at the beginning of the letter, James says, hey, let's just kind of set the record straight as we come into this unusual season together that we don't want to be in. You're scattered to the wind. You're not where you used to be. He says, but God has still given you a responsibility to carry into the world, your servant. Sometimes when we think about being a servant, we think about that, that kind of duty. I remember years ago, you know, uh, I felt God was calling me to step into something. Honestly, I didn't really want to do it. It felt challenging. I didn't feel like I had the skill set to do it. I didn't feel like it would benefit my life very much. And so I was trying to discern whether or not I was going to do this thing that I felt God asking me to do. And so I called my dad. It just, uh, he's one of my heroes, man of faith. And I'm kind of laying it out in front of my dad. Dad, you know, here's what I, here's what I sense God's calling me to do. Here's why I don't really want to do it. Not sure if I should do it. And I'm, I'm kind of giving him a pros, cons list. And my dad stopped me like mid-sentence. He said, Dave, I love you. He said, you've got one question you've got to wrestle with. And he said, here's the question. Did God actually ask you to do this thing? He said, if God asked you to do it, he said, then you do it. He says, because that's who you are. You're a servant of the Lord. He said, you don't barter. <laughs> You don't make your pro and con list, but Lord, what? he's like, no. He's like, he's given you a responsibility. And he said, you do it. Mm -hmm. 
And I think sometimes when you think about being a servant, it's like we think about the responsibility, but when James talks about being a servant, you're gonna see this week after week as we go through this, he doesn't just come at it from the place of servanthood, like duty, responsibility. He comes at it from this place of joyful privilege. James knew who he was serving. He knew how good his big brother Jesus was. He knew how good God was. He goes, do you know what a privilege it is to serve God? And if you can just kind of hear between the lines uh, this fall as we read through James, you're gonna hear a guy that's not serving Jesus just out of like, oh, we've gotta do this. He realizes, man, it's a privilege. It's a privilege and an honor to be a servant of the Most High God. You know, in this, in this season, this pandemic, you know, Sydney and I, for whatever reason, we started watching back through Parks and Rec. I don't know if you like that show, if you've seen it on Netflix. If not, you need to watch it. You know, we've watched it two or three times. It's kind of embarrassing how much we've gone through that show, but. Uh, in the pandemic, we started watching it again, and the whole show is built around kind of this one character, Leslie Nope, who works for this small uh, little government, uh, governmental parks and recreation department. And what I love about Leslie Nope in, in that show is nobody appreciates the work that she does, but she does it because she loves the people she serves. She just serves like crazy because she loves the people she serves. And the other night we were watching that show, and I just thought, man, Lord, if Christians in Nashville served the Lord the way this fake character in this silly TV show served her local government in Pawnee, Indiana, man, the world would be fundamentally different. Like if you just woke up, if I woke up, if our church woke up this morning and went, Lord, we don't know what's on the docket today. All of our plans have gone out the window, but we're here to serve you. And not only is it our duty, it is our joy. I think about one of my dear friends, Mary Trapnell, who's a part of our church family. She's doing incredible work here in the city. Every time I talk to Mary, she's telling me all the great things that God is doing down in the part of the city where she's serving, some of the least of these, some, some of the folks that are just really hurting. She gets right there in the midst of all of the messiness of life. And every time I talk to Mary, she talks about this burning obligation she has to serve the Lord. But she does it with this huge smile on her face. And she'll say this one phrase, if you know, know Mary, shout out Mary, I know you're watching this morning. She goes, she goes, each day I just wake up and I report for duty. And when she says it, I go, I wanna do what you do. I go, can you imagine what would happen like tomorrow morning, you just wake up and you go, Lord, okay, here we are. This thing is drug on longer than we anticipated. It's affected us more than we ever imagined, but Lord, we're still your servants. And I love this, James, he sends this encouraging word from a trusted friend in the middle of a difficult time. They're standing at the end of the driveway, they open it up and he says, hey, remember who you are, your servants. But he doesn't stop there. Second thing, if you take notes, he reminds them not just that they're servants, but that they're living in a bigger story. They're living in a bigger story. Look back at James 1, he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes that have been scattered. He says, to the 12 tribes. I don't know if you write in your Bibles, you should just underline that phrase, the 12 tribes. And there's so much that we could talk about here for the sake of time, and just because I don't wanna confuse you, we're not gonna deep dive it right here. But James is speaking to a group of Jesus followers who the vast majority of them had come out of a Jewish background. They were, they were Jewish people. They'd grown up in the, the, the Jewish story, the Jewish religion as they knew it. And Jesus, who is the fullness of God, he entered their lives as a Jewish man. He came into the middle of their story. And he begins calling them to follow him as Messiah. And so the early Christians that James is writing to them, the vast majority of them, they knew like fundamentally that their story of faith didn't just begin a few years earlier at Pentecost. They knew that their story of faith went all the way back to the days of Abraham where God made this covenantal relationship with Abraham and he said, I'm gonna bless you and your family and I'm gonna bless all that bless you so you can be a blessing to the ends of the earth. And so these early Christians, they knew in their core that their spiritual story was more than a few years old. 
But have you ever noticed that like when your life gets disrupted, it's easy to forget what you already know? <laughs> that when things get shaken, it, it's easy to forget. Like when crisis hits, it's easy to forget that there were people that came before you and that there were people who will come after you and that God is doing something with you right in the midst of the moment that you're in. And I love what James does. He writes to them and he doesn't speak to them as a group of individuals. He speaks to them as a community that is living in a story much bigger than their own individual joy and suffering and heartache and challenge. He says, hey, listen, you have to understand the promise of what God said, the promise of what God is going to do so you can live strong in the moment you find yourself in. And I love this, look back at verse one. He says, to the 12 tribes, he didn't call them individuals. He said, remember, he says, he says, you're still a part of that work that God was doing through Abraham and through Isaac and through Jacob and through Joseph. You're still a part of that. That those promises still count for your life and that God is still gonna do something in the future. And even though the story has taken a turn, even though you're living in a chapter you never saw coming, God saw it coming and he's not done with you. This would've been so encouraging to those followers of Jesus that had grown up in a Jewish background. But listen, it wasn't just encouraging for them and this is where we could go down the rabbit hole right here. But in Jesus, people like me who did not grow up with a Jewish background, by the grace of Jesus, by the work of the cross, I've been brought into all of the promises that God has been making to his people for thousands of years. And so I look at my life and go, as an individual, I became a follower of Jesus 20 years ago. But God's been writing a story much longer than that. And it's not just my story, but I'm a part of a bigger story. And when I understand where I've come from and where things are going, it helps me in the midst of the moment. So James, he's trying to encourage them. He looks at him, he says, hey, here's the deal. He says, you're servants of God, but you're not alone. You're part of his tribes. You're a part of what he's doing. See, a lot of us right now, especially those of you that are worshiping with us this morning here in, in North America, we're so individualistic. It's easy for us to unintentionally cut ourselves off from the generation that came and to not even think about the generation that's coming. And to miss out on this reality that we're being grafted in to a story that God's been writing for a long time. If you wanna read more on this, you know, maybe you're looking at James 1 going, where is he getting that from those two words, the 12 tribes? Go back this week, read Romans chapter nine through 11. And it talks about the way that God, through the work of Jesus, is bringing Jew and Gentile together in Christ. So I think in our world, we, we tend to think of the Jewish story and the Christian story, and we view them like two parents that got divorced and now live in separate continents or separate cities or separate places. And the scriptures go, no, that's not the way that it works. That God's doing something amazing here. Like I said, we could go much deeper into this. Read Romans 9 through 11. I want you to hear the undercurrent, though, of what God is saying through his servant James. James looks out, these people have been scattered. He says, hey, you're his servants. You're part of a bigger story. It started before you. It's gonna go beyond you. God's doing something right here and right now. You're not alone. You're in this tribe. It's, I, it's one of the reasons I think it's so important for us to worship in real time at 10 a.m. together on Sunday morning. You can watch this anytime, but something valuable happens right now where you go, I'm not the only one that's worshiping in my living room. This is happening across the city and beyond. He said, we're servants of God. We're living in a bigger story. One more for you. And he says, and we've been scattered for the glory of God. We've been scattered for the glory of God. Look back at verse one. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes that have been scattered among the nations. This word scattered in the original language, it was the word diaspora or diaspora and, and it, it literally was a, a farming term. 
And it, and it meant to, to scatter seed, to throw seed. It was a description of what happened when seed was being thrown out into a field. It's the same word that was used to describe that moment in Acts chapter eight that led to the context for James even writing this letter. In Acts chapter eight, when the Christians were scattered by persecution, it said they were thrown out into the world like seeds in the hand of a farmer. I think sometimes when we think about the, this scattering, it's, it's easy to go, okay, did God cause the scattering? You know, Jesus had predicted this years earlier that, hey, you're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, and now all of a sudden, the people are scattered into those places, and it's, it's easy, it's a pretty common question to go, hey, did, did God cause the scattering? And the reality is, when you look at the scriptures, we just don't know. Like, I hear that question even now, kind of in, in our moment, people are going, hey, is God, is God behind this? Is he scattering us? And the reality is, our, our perspective is so limited. And so sometimes the question of, hey, did God scatter them? It's not a very easy question to answer. I think a better question is, hey, God, what do you wanna accomplish through us as we're scattered? It's not, hey, did you scatter us? It's, hey, now that we've been scattered for a season, what do you wanna do through us for your glory? Like some of you, you know, I've had so many conversations. You've had conversations with neighbors that you never had before COVID. You've reconnected with coworkers. You've reconnected with people um, that have kind of uh, been on the fritz, uh, kind of on the fringe of your life. You've connected with family members and roommates and people. And in this scattering, you're beginning to see, hey, there's all kinds of opportunities. And I believe at the heart of what James is gonna show us over the next several months as we wrestle with what it looks like to live faithful in the midst of the scattering, he's gonna say, hey, listen, you're a servant of God living in a story much bigger than yourself. And where you've been scattered into is ripe with opportunity for the goodness of Jesus to be seen. There's opportunities all around you. If you just open your eyes, if you'd claim your place in the story, if you'd claim your place in the midst of where God has put you right now, say, God, here I am, would you use me? I go, can you imagine what would happen over the next couple of months in the midst of this stuff that we're trying to navigate together? Just each morning you just woke up and said, God, here I am. <laughs> would you help me to recognize the long trajectory of your work in the world? And would you show me today, I mean, just simple prayer, show me today who you want me to love in the name of Jesus. Man, God would, God would do something. So here I am for duty. Show me today who I can love in the name of Jesus. There's one last word that I wanna look at. This is just kind of a bonus. I'll throw it in for you. Not that you asked for a bonus, but I'm gonna give it to you. I love the way he ends verse one. He says, James, the servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Look at this last word. He says, greetings. He says, greetings. In the original language, it's a Greek word, kyrain. You can say it out loud if you want. If you want to feel smart during your friends and say, Kyrene. You can lean over to somebody next to you, whisper it in their ear gently, just say, Kyrene. Uh, actually, don't do that. It'd be so weird. Um, for those of you that invited friends from your neighborhood to watch church with you this morning, I'm sorry, I just said that made it weird. But uh, this word Kyrene, it literally means joy to you. It just means joy to you. And, you know, sometimes when somebody sends you a text message, if you ever had one of these moments, maybe you get a text or you get an email and you can't read the tone of it, and so you're like, okay, what, what, what's, what's this person getting at here? And so you try to read it through all the different tones. I love James, you gotta hear me very clearly, over the next couple of months, he's gonna say some encouraging things, he's also gonna say some really tough things. There's gonna be some moments where he's gonna step on our toes, and if you don't understand his tone from the outset, you may miss what God's trying to do in your life. And I love this, he stands before his people, he says, I'm a servant of God living in a bigger story, I've been, you've been scattered, here we are together. And he says, but here's my tone, Joy to you. He says, joy to you. He says, my prayer for you in the midst of the moment you're in is that the, 
the, the profound joy of God would meet you, overflow you, anchor you, stir you, compel you, propel you into the world that he has for you. And guys, that's my prayer for you. It's like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I'll see all of you today at the drive-thru. I'm hoping we're having lots of opportunity for in-person stuff here soon. But I recognize just the reality of being a scattered people trying to live as servants in a bigger story. Man, it gets really tough over time. And it can be really hard. It can be really exhausting. And just that last word of verse 1 is what I want to pray over you this morning. Whether you felt joyful or not, I just want to pray that the joy of Jesus would overwhelm your life, would infiltrate your living room, would stir you into this reality of a servant living in a story in the midst of the scattering, that God would do immeasurably more than you ask or imagine. So let me pray. I want to encourage you in your living room. If you feel comfortable, just kind of put your hands out in front of you, just as this kind of posture of receiving. I just want to pray over us this morning. Father, I love you. Lord, I love these people. God, I love every one of them. None of us saw this year coming. None of us imagined that we'd be scattered like this. None of us imagined that we'd feel some of the ups and downs. We, we thank you for the places of joy and breakthrough and peace and hope that we've already experienced. And Lord, we also recognize that, man, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff just stirring up in us. And God, we need your help to live as servants. We need your help to live in light of a much bigger story. We need your help, Lord, to, to live with eyes wide open in the places where we've already been scattered. And God, as all of that happens, would you fill our hearts with joy? Would you fill us with joy? The kind of joy that can't be robbed when our circumstances begin to get turned on their head. The kind of joy that can't be robbed when things don't work out the way that we expected. Lord, we want that unshakable joy, the joy that we'll look at next week as we keep reading through James. Lord, in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I just ask that you'd pour out joy in every living room, joy that comes from knowing you are the resurrected Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the hope of the earth. God, would you pour out joy that comes when we experience the reality of your nail-scarred hands, that you love us so much, that every sin that has been committed by every one of us, individually and communally, that every one of those can find forgiveness at the foot of the cross. God, I pray that just like James was emboldened by the risen, resurrected reality of Jesus, God, there'd be the strength that would rise up in every person that's worshiping with us this morning. And as that strength rises up, that, Lord, we wouldn't just find ourselves sitting around our proverbial mailboxes waiting for a good word and a tough time from a good friend, but that we ourselves would go, man, who do I know? Who needs a good word from me? Who needs an encouragement from me? Who needs to be served by me? Who, who needs to be loved by me? Who needs to be called by me? God, would you just, even right now as I'm praying this, would names and people just start flooding our imaginations? And God, as we serve them, would you help us to serve them as though we're serving you yourself? What a privilege it is to serve you. Even in a season like this, we count it an honor to serve you, Jesus. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.